Hey guys, you're listening to Crosstalk, a podcast brought to you by Republic Polytechnic's Diploma in Mass Communication and the Singapore Red Cross. Hi guys, welcome to Crosstalk, your local podcast where we talk to various Red Cross leaders about the social causes they champion. I'm Sylvia. And I'm Shane. And today, we're going to be talking about disaster relief. So, Shane, Singapore quite safe, huh? Would you say that? Yeah, quite safe, huh? We don't experience typhoons, tsunamis, yeah, earthquakes. All the countries around us kind of like protect us in a way. Yeah. Mm, that's true, but we're very privileged in a sense because many other countries, you know, we do experience disasters. So mm. today on our podcast, we have Aaron and Samuel from the Singapore Red Cross International Services. So welcome to the podcast. All right, so can you guys introduce uh, more about yourselves and tell us what you guys do at International Services? Uh, my name's Aaron. I'm a coordinator with the International Services. So I'm functioning as a auxiliary staff or volunteer staff. Um, in my current focus, I think I, I'm a nurse by uh, profession. Uh, but for my IS portfolio or International Services portfolio, I'm looking at um, managing the disaster surveillance team. Uh, we are looking at uh, restoring family links, uh, as well as... Uh, military and civil uh, liaison uh, function as the focal point. So my name is Samuel. Uh, I am the manager with the international services of the Singapore Red Cross. Um, so my primary role is kind of similar like Aaron's, but maybe a bit more um, in, a, in two areas. Maybe one is on project management where we do like projects and programs with our partners overseas. Um, and of course, the other one, we do capacity building projects, uh, which kind of focus more on training programs that we do with our partners. Yeah. So disaster relief seems like a really daunting topic to many people because of how seriousness the issues are involved in it. How did you guys approach uh, disaster relief? What made you guys wanted to start doing such a, a course? Well, for myself, I think uh, the thought of being able to function and practice my skill sets in the overseas context was the catalyst uh, for which I decided to join the international services. So at the point of joining the international services for internship, Right after uh, my time in IT College East, um, I was hoping that I would be able to uh, practice nursing uh, in other countries such as uh, Malaysia or even Indonesia, which I did get a chance eventually thanks to uh, our, our head of department then, uh, Ms. Caris Chan. Uh, then, of course, along the way, I met Samuel, who was previously <laughs> an intern with us, who eventually joined as a full-time staff. So my my journey, maybe it's a bit embarrassing to say and a bit awkward. Um, I would say if I look back, um, you you would watch movies, you would watch shows, and then there will always be some movies or shows that just stick with you, uh, that you find memorable. Uh, so some people like um, you know, fashion shows, or some people like uh, a bit more action shows. Um, I have always been attracted to to shows that are always set in like the disaster scene. So we look like Blood Diamonds or maybe the cheesy Descent on the Suns that we, we watched huh. recently. Yeah. Um, so it is it's this shows that some of us um, have this, like evoke some emotions. Um, and I guess I knew that I wanted to be on the ground uh, closest to the people who really need our support. I uh, was really fortunate to apply to Singapore Red Cross and really, really fortunate that the only opening back then was one with the international services. So I, I wouldn't say I purposely went into that area. I had an interest and I sort of dropped into that role. So it's a bit awkward, but also, uh, yeah, how I ended in this position. What 
exactly does the international services do? <laughs> okay, so um, I think like what you mentioned, uh, I do agree that international services in itself, along with the notion of disaster response, is a very niche area. Um, our marketing campaign, I think uh, uh, there's a lot of focus on local efforts uh, before we even dabble into uh, overseas relief. So it's important to uh, in our mission uh, to cater to uh, those who are in, in the most need uh, those are, who are stuck in very dire situations. Uh, we must also look at um, our local scene, uh, what needs to be done prior to that. So our area of focus, as what you mentioned very, so very correctly, is uh, a lot of blood donation and a lot of other local efforts like community response. Uh, we got other initiatives as well, like uh, community first aid events such as First Aiders on Wheels, uh, where they will cycle at uh, the East Coast Park and pick up any casualties and attend to them immediately. So all those are like our other voluntary efforts uh, besides blood donation. So for IS, um, again, being a niche area, uh, what we focus on is uh, a lot of recovery projects, uh, disaster response, um, as well as a lot of um, liaison with uh, various other entities, be it overseas counterparts uh, from other national societies, other Red Cross and Red Crescent entities, uh, as well as other important stakeholders. Uh, so I guess it's just what I mentioned, um, but maybe using a bit more fancier words. Um, so <laughs> I, I guess what he, he mentioned is really about disaster management and a bit of like diplomacy. Um, so there are the two main areas that we talked about. Like. Um, so in terms of diplomacy, like what Aaron mentioned, um, you really need to have good relationships with people on the ground. Um, they are the one that provides all the support that you need. Um, they are the one who gets you out of trouble. They are the one who wants you to stay away from certain troubles. Um, and it's only possible if you had a strong connection. Um, I mean, even if you think about our normal day-to-day, -day, like if you are studying, uh, if you are feeling very stressed, why would you entertain a request from a stranger? You, you have an exam tomorrow. Um, it's at 9 a.m. It's already 12 midnight. A stranger texts you, hey, long time no see. Can you please share your notes with me? You will totally ignore them. <laughs> For sure. Um, but let's say if it's your best friend who has been sharing notes with you, you have been talking on a regular basis, Tell me that say, hey, I'm really panicking right now. Can you please help me? You would spare no thought, really help the person. And I think it's the same energy that we want to showcase, that the relationship here is very important, um, that we need to emphasize. Uh, another area uh, is really about disaster management, which is about recovery uh, as well. That's, that's like really cool though. Like, I mean like... It is, it is. Like, I see, I see like when you think about disaster relief, right? It's like, whoa, okay, then like, you know, you got people injured and then you guys go there. Even though like sometimes, right, like sometimes the earthquake not even done yet, right? But then there's already people down there helping all these people. It's like scary, you know? And it's very selfless in a sense what you guys do as well. Because most of the public, they just assume people go there, you help them out and then you leave. Which is uh, not the case, as we heard from you guys. There's a lot of planning. There's yeah. a lot of thought that goes into it. So I want to bring back uh, to what Samuel said earlier on when you said, you know, watching disaster movies brought you in to disaster relief. And you were right about saying, you know, how some certain scenes, it just stays with you. So throughout your line of work, were there any memorable experiences that you had? Memorable, yes. Um, but I, to really pinpoint one, um, it's not really something I've seen on the spot. Uh, but it's more of what you experience over time. So um, I guess it, it goes back all the way to 2018 um, when there was um, the, the, the floods in Laos. Um, so what happened was the dam collapsed um, in Atapu province uh, with the seasonal rain, um, the floods just came. 
Um, so I guess we had volunteers going down on the ground as first responders, you know, doing the, the initial needs assessment and whatnot. Um, then our role came in slightly later, where we talk about the more long-term needs assessment, like just going to see um, what projects we can do over there and doing more detailed needs assessments, like um, what are the issues with water safety, you know, sanitation, uh, education, livelihoods, uh, shelter, you know, the whole range of stuff. Um, and I guess one very mo uh, memorable thing was when I went to a school, we visited a few schools, um, and in particular, it was fortunate for that, that school that there was water supply, where else the nearby schools, uh, as well as some of the uh, uh, living areas did not have water supply because it just got disrupted uh, by the floods and the landslides. Um, it was a very fortunate thing, I guess, um, but we were very concerned with water safety. Uh, because of the, the landslides, as well as, you know, certain uh, open defecation practices uh, and whatnot, which could um, contaminate the groundwater source. Um, so we did warn them. Um, we left the area. We went back again, I think, two or three months later to talk about, uh, to visit the same areas. Um, and what was very fortunate was actually not a good thing, in a sense that when we went back, we heard things like um, children suffering from diarrhea, water poisoning, um, and possibly fatalities. Um, so I, I guess when you hear that kind of, of things, it just hurts you because you, know, you were there before. Um, you question whether you could do certain things or not. Um, but just the reality. And I think a lot of us, including myself back then, were, were asking like, why... Why did you drink the water when you knew it was unsafe? But then the very simple question came back is, then what else do I drink? Yeah. So it was, it was two choice. One, to not have water. Um, and either the children stay at home and not go to school, or they go to school, but they have this like 50% risk of suffering from water poisoning. Um, even then we could not ascertain whether it is the source is from the school itself. It could be from another area where they got water poisoning. Um, so it's like a risk versus a guaranteed choice of not going to school. Um, so sometimes it's not just a very easy trade-off of just saying, just don't do something. There's a lot of complications, a lot of complexity on the ground. And that's just something very memorable that, you know, just sticks with me over time. Well, for me, I think my most memorable experience will be uh, the deployment to Cox's Bazaar. The, I think, I believe the current largest refugee camp uh, in the world. Um, I was deployed there for a healthcare mission and uh, during which we, we saw, I think, somewhere upwards of uh, over a thousand patients uh, at that point of time, over a course of five days. Um, there was a lot of planning that went into it, definitely, uh, and there was a lot of liaison between uh, various healthcare uh, entities, like their local doctors and nurses who came on board to help us and administer uh, aid to those in need. Um, what was very memorable? Sorry, what was very memorable? I think, uh, was just the sheer sight of how large the the, the camp was, because um, while we look at certain images or uh, from news articles or even if you Google map it, uh, there are some images of the area. Being there on the ground and seeing it for yourself is is just another thing in itself, uh. Yeah, so. On my first day of arrival, I, I was really taken aback uh, by the living conditions of uh, those refugees, um, knowing some of their stories, because luckily for us, we had translators uh, with us 
from the Bangladesh Red Crescent Society. So the one of the stories that was shared was that um, uh, a family just came in to the camp. They didn't have anywhere. Uh, there, there's no fixed place to really just settle in. So they just came in. Um, prior to that, several hours before, they were in a gunfight. So there were a few of them. There was a crowd coming in. At the point of deployment, right, uh, we decided that we wanted to go with the deployment because there was an influx of about 90,000 uh, refugees at the point of time. So upon knowing this, we went to assist uh, the other national societies or the uh, International Federation uh, for our societies to go and uh, administer uh, assistance. So seeing all those different wounds and conditions and the, the, even the living conditions, not just their physical condition, uh, really just made a very memorable uh, experience, uh, but not in a very particular pleasant way. It was like really heavy, like the things that you just shared. And like, I don't know, like, um, I feel like that's, like I would, I look up to you guys a lot. Like this, this, you see so many things go through at all these places and you still like, you know, you feel like this, you can still take it to go there and help them, you know? And then like, okay, to be very honest with you, the disaster relief things, like, there's a lot of people out there that would like, you know, think like, for example, if I come across like one of my, my family members are like, my aunties would drop by, like, like, if I told them that I was doing disaster relief, it's like, ah boy, yeah. you, 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 you okay or not, this kind of thing, they'll, they'll say stuff like, you know, it's very dangerous in this kind of stuff, exactly, or it's like, exactly. it takes up so much time, or it also takes up, you, uh, like for you guys, right, I think it takes you up a little bit emotionally. So like, how, what would you have to say about those kind of things? Um, so you know how I mentioned about movies earlier just now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and all those scenes and, and, uh, and fear and you know, the, the sound effects and whatnot. Uh, but it's really not the same in real life. Um, the problem is your, your parents and your friends, or maybe even yourself, would have the image of what a disaster scene is. But when we go on the ground, it's actually much safer and it's much calmer. In that sense, of course, in the early periods, um, it will be very hectic, but it's not as bad as what the movies portray. Um, having said that, I still remember my very first mission when I, I was telling my family that, uh, yeah, I was activated, I think, a few days before. Um, and then they were just saying that, are you sure? What do you need? Nah, let's go to shop. Uh, let's go to the nearest shopping mall now and let's buy whatever you need. Um, they were panicking. Uh, my, my parents were throwing a fast, you know, saying, no, you know, like, but it's just a lot of, of, of um, hesitation. Uh, a lot of objection in that sense and and I'm saying that it's already decided like I, I'm deployed yeah, there's, there's nothing much you can do uh, except to just share with them about all the safety measures that uh, has already been taken by the organization um, so like, I think Aaron already shared some you know um, maybe just add on a bit more it's like your insurance um, and telling them that everything's already taken care of or what the contingency planning who to call you know sometimes when you are I still remember like in primary 6 or, or, or secondary 1 right when you want to go out uh, mm. before you want to go out with your friends, right? Your your parents will say, "Give me a phone number of your friend, <laughs> your friend's house <laughs> number, your friend's mother handphone number, <laughs> your friend's mother uh, uh father's number." Uh, and even worse, right? They do spot check on you, right? So they sometimes call and check. Uh. So so it's something like that. It's, it never goes away. Um, even for us, so I had to provide like a full list of emergency. Tell them you know what is the protocol if anything happens and whatnot. Um, even at the airport, I still remember there was a lot of like apprehension. Uh, but I went and came back. Um, and after that, subsequent missions, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> no. Um, after a while, they know the process. They know that it's not as dangerous as it is. 
um, they just let me go. Uh, even for missions that were a bit more dangerous, they were like, okay, uh, they know that it's no point picking up like uh, a fast and whatnot, you know, just wish me good luck and go off. So I, I still remember uh, I was actually deployed to Beijing earlier this year. Um, I was there for four months. So even even the night before that, that trip, um, they were all causing that I'm praying that your visa will not arrive or like I hope that you cannot <laughs> make it. I hope the flights are cancelled. Uh, that kind of things. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it wasn't a big fast as it was in the first time. So I'll say that uh, for those who are really interested in going to this field, uh, be prepared to meet objections. Uh, be prepared to to experience some um, um, fears among your your parents. They are not irrational fears, um, but it is justified uh, concerns for you of their love for you. Uh, but just be prepared to just assure them and let them know like you know, uh, it's not as bad as uh, it looks like yeah. um, wow so like okay I'm just very curious because I'm the type of person that easily cries when I can't do a question on my worksheet well you guys must be so mentally strong so I really want to know you know how do you guys get yourself in that mindset and like mentally prep yourself for things A good question. <laughs> it's, a very, it's a very good question. Yes. How do we get ourselves into the right mindset? Mm. I mean, okay. So if we we look at it from a standpoint for first time responder, um, definitely you have a lot of anxieties uh, about the particular mission or objective. Um, so understanding the whole process and what is the the the, the specific work involved, uh, as well as who are your specific stakeholders who will assist you in your task. I think knowing the details of uh, your your work, your job scope, I think really um, helps allay that anxiety and really sets uh, me in the right mindset. Uh, at least that's for my case. <laughs> I think definitely similar. Um, I think it all boils down to the word stress, um, how much stress you can take and, and anxiety that you can take. Um, I guess both of us, we just, um, I mean, to be honest, everyone, we are all born differently in terms of our ability to cope with stress as well as our ability to, to respond to stress. Um, I guess we were journey of personalities that are of higher stress, stress threshold. Uh, but both of us, I believe that since young, we also trained to handle a large amount of stress. Um, and we, we build that stress. Um, to be honest, even when I went for my first mission, right, I, I would not dare say that I did not feel anything. I would not say that I could control my emotions the best. Uh, and it's just over time that you build that kind of capacity as well. So two things. One is maybe natural threshold. Second is whether you are willing to really build that, that stress. Um, and honestly, I've also gone through the, your, your face where I see questions <laughs> that I, I just want to cry and break down. Um, especially, you know, when you go for exam halls, right? And you exactly. see long, long-winded questions. Ooh. And then you just break down. But then you realize that I don't even understand the question. Then when you read and realize, oh, actually, it's not that hard. It's just very long-winded. Agreed, agreed. Um, so I think in the same way, you know, before we go for certain things, you overthink and 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 just create such anxiety for yourself. But when you break it down, the steps and and just do it right, it's not as hard as it is. Yeah. Wow. If I may add on as well, I think uh, it also boils down to what are your identified coping mechanisms. Um, it's important for us to understand ourselves before uh, thoroughly before we can uh, administer assistance to other people. Because uh, that will keep us in touch with our feelings as well as uh, keep us in touch with uh, our understanding of what are our boundaries as well. So usually that uh, over time will set the right mindset uh, for someone to be an effective responder. You said something about uh, coping mechanisms and all that, right? 
Like, what what would be your coping mechanisms? You have, how to, do you, you how have you to share it with us, man. Like, <laughs> like you, you go through so much stuff. What exactly is this coping mechanism that's so great that managed to like, help you let go of so much? You know? There, there are, la, just that I'm not sure whether we can share because Why? it's a bit unhealthy. <laughs> Can share it's anything, so okay. anything. The but keep it PG. Like, keep it PG. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's definitely PG. Oh my gosh, taking <laughs> <laughs> the wrong way. It's definitely PG. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Well, perhaps I'll go first then. Um, I think for me, um, uh, for coping mechanism, I think it really depends on the time of day. If it's in the morning and I receive like uh distressing news, uh, my coping mechanism will be first and foremost to grab a cup of coffee if possible or a hot beverage. Yeah, I find that really calms my nerves. Um, if it's somewhere around midday or maybe at night, then I'll probably just uh try my best to uh, get a connection with my family members, talk to them, uh, check with my uh, uh my significant other, make sure that you know they they are there to really walk me through my own thought process. Because sometimes there's so much that goes into your thoughts throughout the day, especially when there's so much happening around you. You just need someone to be with you to process the information and come to terms with it. Sometimes. Mm. Yeah, so um, I guess for me, it's more like just be very self-aware of your emotions. Um, you know, sometimes like you just flare up and then you ask yourself, why do I flare up? You know, uh, or you find yourself like moodless. Why am I moodless? You know, just be very self-aware. And, 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 and that's, I guess, is the first step. And the unhealthy um, coping mechanism, which you misunderstood, uh, is things like eating sweet stuff, you I know, like food, drinking okay. bubble tea. I would not recommend that because it's very sweet, you know, it's, it's not good unhealthy. for your health. Yes. yes. Definitely PG. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's not something that we would really, um, I would really recommend. But to be honest, it's like each to its own. Like what really makes it, uh, what really sticks for you. Some people, they require more social support. So mm-hmm. uh, you need to call someone, talk to someone. So that's one form of, of support that you can get. Uh, some people are more religious. Prayers, that may help. Meditation may help for some. Uh, yoga may work for others. Uh, it doesn't work for me. I cannot do yoga. <laughs> uh, but yeah, each to his own. Um, but at the end of the day, um, just know that for certain uh, coping mechanisms, if you are using it too much and you have some like, unhealthy side effects, it's something that you should also take note of. Youth, right? Like me. Because I'll be staring at my television screen or looking at my Twitter feed. Because, you know, sometimes disasters, they just happen. And just hearing about the news, it makes me feel very anxious. And I always, like, want to find out how I can contribute. So, what advice can you give to the general public and to youths like me and Shane, for example, who just, you know, want to make the world a better place and want to, like, do our part to help? Mm. Well, I think for the general audience, which is the members of public or even youth, um, if they can afford to, we do have uh, public uh, uh, fundraising efforts as well. So all these appeals usually will be posted up on our social media, Facebook, as well as our main uh, website. Um, so these these funds will be used for a response catered to that specific incident within that specific uh, country or region. Um, of course, we are very transparent, I think, with uh, how the finances are, man- uh, are spent. So... Um, that, that is as part of our whole package for ensuring accountability uh, for our expenditure. Um, well, I, I think even the use, uh, a simple maybe $2 or $3 of their pocket money right, helps. It goes a long way, uh, especially when we talk about um, uh, ensuring that the overseas communities, those who are affected or victims, uh, have the basic necessities. Like right after the incident happens, usually what, uh, what are the uh, immediate needs usually are like shelter kits or hygiene, food and hygiene. 
So all these very basic necessities can easily be uh, uh, catered to if, let's say, uh, everyone forks out a little bit of expenditure. Mm. So you're telling me for I can forego a cup of bubble tea to help someone in need? I think oh. it's a worthy <laughs> trade-off. It's an amazing trade-off. <laughs> You'll say that? Oh. Come on, Sam, you have to agree with me here. It's, it's a painful trade-off. <laughs> 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 I, I will not comment further, but it's a painful trade-off. Okay, so... Uh, apart from donations, when these things happen locally, what are like, you know, certain like, maybe there's some skills or things that we should learn or we can learn, right, to help our local community and all that, you know? Well, so touching on that, I think uh, on a very basic level or bare minimal level, uh, members of public can pick up skills, not even members of public, sorry, even youths can pick up skills such as uh, basic first aid. Um, so this will cover a lot of uh, knowledge about how to treat uh, basic wounds as well as safety at home um, so there are certain topics that cover even uh, that, that cater for the elderly uh, especially since we have an aging population right now so we have uh, components that involve uh, uh, pre- fall prevention at home for example so these are very uh, relevant skill sets that even I think a lot of youths or the large pool of youths can pick up uh, and adults if let's say they um, were to take it one step further and they want to progress beyond uh, just first aid they can look at uh, what our Singapore Red Cross Academy has to offer as well, like for example, Basic Cardiac Life Support, or BCLS for short. Um, of course, these are skill sets that may not be very relevant to um, every single industry, but it's always a skill that is good to have in case something were to happen. Um, other than that, uh, if, if let's say it's a question about uh, whether I can afford the course, and of course, uh, they can feel free to approach uh, our uh, volunteer department or membership volunteer department uh, to go and discuss further what are the other opportunities to volunteer. Because let's say if you were to volunteer in uh, First Aid on Wheels or other community First Aid related uh, um, activities, then of course, we, we are inclined to provide the platform for them to pick up the skills. So they can attend the course at the cost of Providing certain service hours uh, in order to retrieve their certificate. Yeah. Mm. So it's like so like so basically my my broke self, you can just like go up and sign up and then basically be a volunteer and learn all these skills to help all these people as well. Uh. Mm. Yeah, but I think first and foremost you need to really find out which volunteer opportunity is really for you because there's so many uh, services uh, that, that Singapore Red Cross has to offer. So even for our Department of International Services, the pool of volunteers that we have are very focused and I think uh, the fact that they chose to pick up this niche area to volunteer with us, uh, be it to stand by for deployments or be the team that really monitors the situation from uh, uh, the comfort of like their office, their workplace or their homes. Um, it, it really takes uh, a lot of uh, understanding your own uh, expectations uh, as well as why your, their interests might vary from time to time. It really takes a while to really know the volunteer or the person before recommending them a particular portfolio. Mm-hmm. So usually what I do with my volunteers is I will ask, um, I'll have a conversation with them over the phone. I'll be like maybe three minutes, four minutes to really talk about what are their past experiences, uh, why they choose to join us. And if that's the case, then um, what is their motivation? That's the most important part. There's, there's another way to test also. But I'm the anyhow do things one. Uh, he's the more serious one. <laughs> okay. So, so let's say, uh, I, I give you $100. Okay. Okay, but you can only donate to something, a particular cause. Okay. What will you donate to? My brain. <laughs> you, I'm you, 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 you,
busy. <laughs> we were busy your house to check whether you. Yeah. yeah, my bank account needs charity. Okay, oh, but yeah. Singapore reports too. <laughs> hint, hint. Yeah. Okay, I think for me maybe the World Food Program because it's something that me as a youth, you know, it's a very relatively easy way to donate, and it's just a simple touch of a finger, you know, donation kind of thing. Am I right that to say that you have more affinity interest in children? I guess you can say that. Even though I hate my younger brother, but... Oh, yeah, don't Children? Yeah. So, I would say that she'll probably be interested in things like maybe tuition with our Yakas program. Or maybe you like to bring like children out for a day for fun or something. Wow. I probably think that your limit is like 12, 13 years old. And after that, you just cannot take them anymore. Yeah, that's true. My brother is 12 and 13 years old. Makes a lot of sense. So, basically, okay. Um, Is there like any ways that, you know, you think that the youth can contribute to like being informed, being more informed or like raise, helping raise awareness about Red Cross and what they do and all this stuff. Is there like anything that as youth we could do? So maybe I can take that question. Um, I, I guess the first thing before you start volunteering, right, um, is to have a conversation with yourself. Um, because the kind of volunteers that are the best, from my personal opinion, uh, are not those who are just skilled or with a specialization, but those who are available. Which means, okay, so what does availability mean? It's like a very big word. So this means, right, that um, you have a volunteering opportunity at, and it starts at 7 p.m., okay? Your exams end at 4 p.m. You are totally brain dead. You cannot focus. What will your choice be? Do you go for the volunteering or do you cancel last minute and not, you know, and tell them that you just cannot make it? Uh, or maybe something less serious, like, you know, after school, or maybe after work, you know, availability. It's just about being there. Because you can all have all the skills, but decide not to turn up for the opportunity, and you are not contributing. So I think you just have this conversation telling yourself that, you know, sometimes, no matter how tired you are, or no matter how busy you are, you know, just, just commit yourself, uh, and just go for it. So it's always this conversation that you have to start with, because a lot of people go in impulsively, saying that, I will volunteer, I take, 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 register, 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 then on the day itself, oh, pull out, pull out, pull out, pull out, yeah. So, so that's something that um, it's, it's recommended. Lah. Just have a talk to yourself. Say that if I commit for one hour a week, then that's all. Don't overcommit yourself. Um, keep it slow. Start with me one hour a month or one hour a week for new volunteers. Um, and then if you think that you can take on more, then just register. The second way, of course, is go on to social media. You know, start to like our Facebook pages, Instagram, TikTok, and whatnot. Uh, we are at SG Red Cross, correct? Yes. <laughs> yes um, so Singapore Red Cross, just search for us on social media, uh, including Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, Telegram, LinkedIn. Yes. Uh, we would love to have you as our followers. Um, please do follow us. Uh, please. Uh, <laughs> then please. Uh, after which you can also register yourself as a volunteer on our volunteer platform. So you can go to redcross.sg, our website, uh, sign up as a volunteer. That's where you get all the opportunities and whatnot. Um, so to be honest, right, uh, for, for youths or, or young people who are volunteers for the first time, you'll never get your interest right. Um, it's the same thing as, you know, your subjects. Some people will just hate their subjects after studying for one semester mm. or after one class. <laughs> I regret for three years. Oops. Uh, but it happens. And, and I think that's, that's not uncommon. At least you can pull out, you know, subsequently instead of being stuck for two to three years like in a particular course rubbing salt into your wounds. Um, but I would say that it's good because once you volunteer, right, uh, you can have a sense, you know, it's already a practical experience, an in-person experience. And if you like it, you know, you know what is your area of interest. 
if you don't like it, then it's gonna be a big issue. So for example, if, if Shane, you like um, uh, youth, you know, you can try volunteering about youth activities. Uh, if you don't like it, pull out, maybe find something else that you might be interested in and then uh, have a go at it. Uh, if you like it, just stay at it. So that's something as simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then of course for Sylvia, if you like children, um, you may actually regret your choice. Oh, no. uh, because like <laughs> children, there's also a wide range of, of children of different backgrounds, mm-hmm. you know. And, and you know, sometimes you think that you may not like them, but actually you do. Or maybe you think that you like this particular group, but they are not suitable. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that also plays a part. But it's just about experiential uh, experiential try and try and error. Um, I would say that even if you didn't enjoy that particular volunteering opportunity, right? It's still a growing experience. Um, and it's not a waste of time for sure. Yeah. So so yeah, I guess to start off, just um first have a conversation with yourself. Uh, be aware of what opportunities are out there. Uh, then of course register and just see and and let it take course. Thank you so much for your time today. Before we you know end this podcast, Aaron and Samuel, do you have anything you want to say to our audience listening? Well, um, for me, I think amidst these uh challenging times, um, we appreciate so far what have what the members of public as well as yourselves uh have have come forth and assisted uh, our to further our cause with. And of course, we look forward to further engaging uh, everyone uh, to help uh, those who are in need the most. I will also end off uh, by saying maybe on behalf of us, thank you for being great hosts. Uh, we need to put it on Aww. camera. <laughs> uh, and of course, um, just um, mention that you know, volunteering is not that scary. Um, there are different levels of volunteering, you know, like how you have different subjects in introduction to the more advanced level. Uh, don't start with the advanced kind of um, volunteering opportunities. Go slow, go easy. Um, but most importantly, hope to see you all at um, Singapore Red Cross. And do like our social media pages. Thank you. So thank you, Aaron and Samuel, for today. And this has been Cross Talks, your local podcast in collaboration with the Singapore Red Cross and the Diploma in Mass Communications. We will see you in our next episode. Bye! Bye-bye! See ya! Thank you for listening to another episode of Cross Talk. Hope you enjoyed it. Stay 